morning. Oh boy. Was that not a powerful time of worship tonight? Man, there's just something so awesome about coming into the presence of God with your church family and connecting in with the Spirit of God and getting that fresh impartation, right? No, am I the only one here tonight? Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Lately, I've been reading about and researching this woman who I discovered through a book I was reading. Her name is Fatonia. I think I'm saying it right. Probably I'm, who knows. But history shows that Fatonia was numbered with those who were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. And I've been reading stories about this woman and what she has done, what she did in her lifetime for the kingdom of God. Her name means the enlightened one. And she was there when the Holy Spirit fell and received the commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. History says that when, after the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, that that Fatonia and her five sisters and her two sons decided to set sail for Africa so that they could spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to a nation that had not yet heard of him. There was tons and tons of fruit from her life in that nation. People heard the gospel of Jesus for the first time and gave their lives to Jesus. And just an amazing, amazing uh, revival began to take place wherever she would go, wherever her and her sisters and her brothers went. Incredible stories of salvations were coming, miracles, signs and wonders. Then it says that she got word that Christians back in Rome were being persecuted and were being killed by the barbarian emperor Nero. So she prayed about it and she felt Jesus speak to her and say, go back and speak to Nero, confront him. So she spoke to the people that she was with. She spoke to her sisters and to her sons and to some of the people that were traveling with her at that time that had given their lives for the cause of Christ. And they all agreed, yes, let's go. Let's set sail for Rome and let's confront this wicked, cruel emperor because he needs Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine saying, yeah, let's go because imagine the most cruel, barbaric person on this planet and you being the one that says, let's go. I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And her and her sisters and her sons and a group of them all set sail for Rome. One of her sons, his name was Victor, and he had served at one time as a Roman officer. So he was warned by a friend of his named Sebastian. And the records of their conversation say that Sebastian said this to Victor, Fatonia's son. I know that you, your mother, and your brother are followers of Christ. As a friend, I advise you to submit to the will of the emperor. If you inform on any Christians, you will receive their wealth. I shall write to your mother and brother asking them not to preach Christ in public. Let them practice their faith in secret. Well, historical documents about this man's life, Sebastian's life, show that he ended up having an encounter with Jesus right after this conversation. He, he went blind for three days. And the Lord revealed himself to this man, and he ended up giving his life to Jesus and taking back all of that and said, yes, you come and you preach with boldness. And when Victor said, why the change of heart? He said, I met your God, and he's the one true God. 
This was a day and, a, and an age and a time when like supernatural things were the norm. They were just the norm. Imagine someone who you share your faith with doesn't receive it and then all of a sudden they go blind for a few days. And during those few days, then the Lord reveals himself to them and then they're like, oh, well, she was right. So I do believe in your God. Can you imagine? This was the kind of things that were taking place then. So Fatonia and her whole entourage arrive on the shores of Rome and of course they begin right away preaching Jesus. And it says that there was um, her arrival and the activity caused curiosity to arise throughout the capital. And people would talk to her about her and they would say things like, who is this woman? She came here with a crowd of followers and she preaches Christ with great boldness. So when word of her arrival and what she was doing spread and reached the ears of the emperor, he sent soldiers to arrest her not knowing that she was already on a direct course to go see him. And she made it to him before uh, his soldiers made it to her to arrest her. And it says that when she stood before him, before Nero, um, he said to them, why have, you, why have you come to me? Like, I'm, I'm looking to arrest you. Why have you come to me? And her response to him says, we have come to teach you to believe in Christ. No beating around the bush. Like this woman was so passionate for Jesus and for the gospel of Jesus that she went to the most barbaric, brutal person on the planet at that time and to his face said, I've come because you need Jesus. Let's have a chat. What followed over the next little bit, I won't get into here, but was some horrific um, torture that was put upon her and her sisters and her brothers, uh, her sons, I'm sorry. But what the first initial types of torture that, that he attempted with them didn't have any effect. Didn't have any effect. And, and I won't get into details of what he tried to do, but he tried to do some really gross things. And literally no bones were broken, no skin was broken, like nothing. It was having zero effect. And so he got really angry. And so he decided to throw them into prison. He went to his daughter, Nero went to his daughter, and he said, listen, I need you to go on my behalf and speak to this woman because she needs to stop talking about Jesus. So let's set up eight golden thrones in the banquet hall, and let's gather all of the wealth of the different regions around Rome, and let's bring it all into one room and tell them, you and your sisters and your sons, this will be yours if you renounce the name of Jesus. So... Nero's daughter says, yeah, I'll do that. Absolutely, I'll speak on your behalf. I'll, I'll do that. So she meets, they have all this stuff set up in this banquet hall and they bring in Fatonia and her sisters and brothers and, I'm sorry, sons. And when, the daughter, when Nero's daughter begins to speak, the way that she worded her initial kind of phrasing to Fatonia, she said Jesus in it. And Fatonia mistook what she said as though this was a follower of Jesus too and instantly launched into, isn't Jesus so good? And started giving glory and praise to this God that she thought they both served. And as Nero's daughter is hearing these words, it says that she just broke, fell to her knees, gave her life to Jesus and turned to all of the people around that worked there and said, give all of this wealth to the poorest people in Rome. And records show that all of the wealth on that day that was in that room was distributed to the poorest people in Rome. So you can imagine what happened with Nero <laughs> when he finds out his daughter has now converted and has become one of them. He's enraged. 
He wanted to kill them, so he threw the group of them into a fiery furnace. But guess what? Didn't touch them. They didn't get burned. It reminds me of like another story I've read at one time, right? And so he's getting enraged. He's like, whatever I try to do to these people, nothing will work. So he says, forget it. I'm just going to throw them in prison and we won't have to worry about them. Just get them in, in the prison. At least they won't be able to talk about Jesus. This was not the day and age of like cell phones and texting, Instagram, Facebook. So somehow, under his very nose, over the next three years, revival was breaking out in that prison and he didn't know. People were coming from all over Rome to meet this woman who had arrived that day on the boat with an entourage of people. Word starts spreading. Well, she went to go see the emperor. She went right to Nero to go see him. And now she's in prison. And people started coming from all over to receive prayer, to hear about this Jesus that she preached. Why did she come so boldly? Who was the crowd that came with her? And it says that, that the jailers and the people that worked in the prison got saved. People came and got healed. There was worship taking place in the very prison that Nero put her in to keep her from doing that for three years this amazing beautiful revival is taking place one of the people who was in the prison with her eventually I guess got released and he was untouched by this whole holy spirit activity so he went straight to the emperor and said uh just so you know for three years as I've been serving my sentence this is what's been going on well Nero I wonder if he had any other emotions besides enraged. I don't know. History shows him as being really barbaric, right? So he decides, oh, that's it. They are getting tortured to the max, and this will be the end of what's happening. Brutal torture took place. Bru- horrific things took place at that time. And then he ordered the beheading of all the Christians in the prison, except for Fatonia. So her sisters, her sons... All of the others who had given their lives to Jesus were all beheaded that day. She was brutally beaten and tortured. Horrific, unimaginable, unspeakable things were done to this woman. I've been wrecked by her story. She was lowered after being beaten into a really deep, dark pit all by herself. And records of the prayers that were heard from her alone in that dark pit coming out were not of her saying, woe is me, or God, where are you? How could you have let this happen? She is on record through the history books as saying, Jesus, I want the martyr's crown. Your word says that if people are killed for your name's sake, that they will get a crown in eternity, and I want that crown. They all got beheaded for their faith, and now here I am in this pit. Jesus, the most honorable thing that could ever happen to me is to die for my faith. Why? Why am I still here? Her story has completely wrecked me. In my comfortable North American existence. Guys, like, if my order's wrong at Starbucks, I have a bad day. 
If we order something online and it takes two weeks longer to get to us than what was expected, we have a bad attitude and some of us without maturity rant on Facebook about the terrible company and why you should never buy anything from them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This woman lost everything and the cry of her heart was, but Jesus, take my life. Take my life. Well, there's two different accounts of how she died. One account is that she died in that pit. Another account is that she was brought back from that pit a number of weeks later and then died shortly thereafter. Doesn't really matter how she died. I think the fact that she went through what she went through has reserved a special place for her in the kingdom of God. I've been fascinated reading about this woman and trying to learn more and trying to, you know, gather different articles and different things and weed through it to, to try to get to, like, her story, even though over years different religions have maybe put their spin on some of the stories or it's kind of, you know, you've got to weed through to try to see. But the gist of her story is one of she just gave her life for the cause of Jesus. The Holy Spirit fell on her on the day of Pentecost, and she went to all nations that that she was called to, and she preached the gospel to her very last breath. You know what's super cool about this? History suggests that she's in the Bible. Let's take a look in the book of John, John chapter 4. We're introduced to this woman. And you guys, most of you here have heard of her. We never had a name for her. But history suggests that this woman, Fotonia, who went through all of this and who stood for Jesus and who rallied for the cause of Jesus for her life is the same woman that Jesus went to, a Samaritan woman at the well, and said to her, give me a drink. John chapter 4, verse 7 says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said, give me a drink. This was a Samaritan woman, and Jesus was a Jew. The two races did not communicate. They didn't intersect. There was racial tension to the max at this time in history. And these two groups of people were very much on opposite sides, and they did not intermix. They didn't have conversations. Never mind the fact that she was a woman and Jesus is a man. And he speaks to her when she comes to the well, and he says, give me a drink. Later on in verses 13 and 14, Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that, that, um, that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Whenever I read that, I think, well, if that was me, being me, and this man says to me, give me a drink, and then the next day, next breath says, I have water that if you drink of it, you'll never be thirsty again. I think, well, then why aren't you drinking it yourself? <laughs> why are you asking me for this water if you've got some secret special water that you, you know, are holding out here? They begin this dialogue, and I love the story of the Samaritan woman, but now I just feel like I love it that much more. It says that in Scripture that Jesus begins to speak to her, and he says to her, you have had five husbands. And the man that you're with right now is not your husband. Can you imagine? Like your most deepest, darkest um, 
area of vulnerability in your life and just like that gets exposed and, and you're now having a conversation about the, the most sensitive area of your life with this man, this stranger who's from another race that you're not even supposed to be talking to. She says, I perceive, she says, sir, which I love, because I don't know about you, but maybe if I was being called out in that moment for my worst things, I don't think I would necessarily respond with a respectful tone. She says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. In that day and an age, it was the prophet's it was the men of God who heard the voice of God that spoke. And she would have known, racial, racial divide and all, she would have known that prophets come and they speak the word of the Lord. They know things that man shouldn't know. And they speak things that only divine revelation can get, cause them to speak. And she would have known that. And so the way that she worded it was, I perceive that you're a prophet. She could sense that this was a man of God who was speaking things revealed to him from divine revelation. They have this whole, you know, short dialogue. And after he calls her out and says, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. She says, I, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Then she goes here and she says, let me ask you a question. Some say, I don't know if I have this scripture here. No. Some say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. But my people say that we're supposed to worship at the mountain of Jerusalem. Where do you say we're supposed to worship? If I'm having a conversation with somebody who I perceive to be a man of God and they've just called me out for the very areas of my life that are the most vulnerable, tender areas, why in that moment am I now shifting the conversation to the topic of worship? I, I wouldn't do that. I... To me, it's an illogical flow of conversation. It doesn't make sense. In that day and in that time, it was a hot topic of the day. Pick a hot topic of the day right now, and you might not be into it. It might be political or religious, or it could be racial or whatever. You might not be in it, but it's such a hot topic that you hear it all the time. You hear it on the news. Your friends talk about it. People who are really into it are dialoguing about it around you all the time. So you could have a conversation about something based on just being around this topic. That's what was going on in that day about worship. The Samaritans wanted to worship at the mountain. The Jews said, no, you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. So this was like a hot topic racial issue of the day. Where is worship, the act of worship, supposed to happen? I find it so compelling that that's the question that she jumps to after having this really short interaction with this man who she perceives to be a man of God. Where are we supposed to worship? Are we supposed to worship in the city or are we supposed to worship at the mountain? And Jesus says this in verse 21 through to 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Do you know that this couple of scriptures is one of the most precious theological statements about worship that we have today? What Jesus spoke to her in that moment. 
is so precious to the church. It's so precious to our church, the way that we're to worship Jesus. And it came in a moment when he's talking at a well with a Samaritan woman who had had many, many husbands and who was living with a man who wasn't her husband. So she's, she's you know, they finish this dialogue really, really quickly. At least what's included in scripture is really quick. And then she goes back. She's like, hold on. And she goes back and she says to her, the village or the town she lived in, guys, I met a man. I'm pretty sure the reaction was, uh-huh. Yeah. I'm sure you have. Right? She says, guys, come. I met a man. But this man is not like other men. He knew everything about me. He knew I had five husbands and that the one I'm with now is not my husband. He knew it all. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one that we've been waiting for? And scripture says that she brought people out and they all came and then they met him that day. There are a handful of transformative days in the lives of believers. And I want to just really quickly, using the story of Fetonia, touch on them tonight. And the first one is this. I'm going to call this the first day. Do you remember where you were the day that you were introduced to your Savior? Her story would be, I was was walking up to a well to get some water, and I met this man named Jesus. What about you? Do you remember where you were when you heard the name of Jesus? Do you remember, did somebody tell you about it? Were you watching TV and saw a Christian program and heard a preacher or someone talking about Jesus? Did somebody in this room tell you about Jesus first? Do you remember where you were the first time you heard about this man named Jesus? It is the mo- one of the most transformative days in the life of a believer, is the day that we hear about Jesus. Because that's the seed that gets sown in that moment that has the possibility, if it's received, to change your life. In that moment, she met this man and she told others about him. Now, according to um, the timeline of Jesus' ministry, there would have been about two more years before he died from the time when he spoke to this woman at the well until he died on the cross. And it doesn't say, there's no record in scripture and I haven't found any other records of this woman during this season of her life. But I would imagine based on that really small conversation that she had with him, I would imagine that for the next two years, she followed Jesus. Maybe not every day, maybe not everywhere he went, right? But I would imagine this man that she knew to be a man of God, this man who was speaking truth to her about, you're not gonna worship here or there. It's not about a place. It's about what's in your heart, The day is now here where you're going to worship me in spirit and truth. I imagine the words that he spoke stirred something in her. Just like when you first met Jesus, something was stirred in you. And I've been imagining what miracles, what teachings would she have seen firsthand? Or what ones would she have heard just by word of mouth? Once Jesus started, you know, showed up on the scene, all sorts of awesome happened, right? Would, he, would she have been in the crowd the day that 5,000 men plus women and children had lunch? Would she possibly have been one of those people? 
Would she have heard the stories of how Jesus brought children back to life so that their parents didn't have to bury their child? Would she have heard the stories or seen firsthand Jesus cast out demons from people or lay his hands on the sick, open the eyes of the blind? Was she there or did she hear the time when Jesus told someone to go and catch a fish and in that fish's mouth was going to be a coin? Like, talk about crazy Talk about crazy, awesome things that were taking place. She could have been an eyewitness to some of this stuff. And if not an eyewitness, she would have been like right there, hearing it. Wow, last week over in wherever, Jesus, that Jesus guy, this is what he did. Really? For the next two years, she would have been around and heard and maybe even seen firsthand some of the amazing things that Jesus did. And then the day comes And she sees her Savior on a cross. I would imagine, we're imagining a lot tonight. Is that okay? I would imagine this man that impacted her so deeply that day at the well. It was a big thing when he was crucified. It wasn't a private, quiet little thing that just a few people knew about. It was a big deal. And I would imagine if she was anywhere within that region that she would have been in the crowd, that she would have watched this man who she was so in awe of over the last couple of years, who broke through racial divides and gender divides and broke through cultural issues. And he spoke to her heart that day at the well. What was going through her mind when he hung on a tree? Which is the second day. Do you remember where you were when your life was intercepted by the power of the cross? Imagine you had seen Jesus do these works firsthand. Imagine you had heard stories and seen some accounts of Jesus doing these miraculous, crazy, awesome things. And now he's hung on a tree, dying in front of all these people. What would be in your heart? Do you remember the day when you were encountered by that same radical, magnificent, passionate love of your Savior? Where all of a sudden, if you look through the timeline of your life and you see all the things that were taking place now, there's a cross. And from that day forward, everything's different. The trajectory of your life changed. What were issues in the past you got freedom from, you got healing from, you were delivered and set free. And the whole course of your life changed because in your timeline was a cross. Do you remember that? Imagine what she was feeling in that day. I pray that as Christians that we don't ever lose the awe and the wonder of what Jesus has done in our lives. That it doesn't become a day on a calendar that we say, yeah, I said that prayer and I asked Jesus into my life. But that like Fatonia, it becomes the whole purpose of our life. The whole reason why we're living, the whole reason why we get up in the morning and what we do with our life is because of what happens when we're intercepted by the cross. I would imagine her remembering that first time that they ever met. The first time when he spoke to her. The words that Jesus said that day, the look on his face, the way that he made her feel. Watching her, watching her Savior die, I would imagine her thinking, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Do you think in that moment she was thinking, 
If it's not about a place, if he said at that time, it's not about a place. It's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And the moment is now. The moment is here. It's not like something's going to one day change and this whole debate is going to be settled. But the moment is now that true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Do you think that maybe in that moment, seeing her Savior on a cross, she thought, now? Am I supposed to worship now? Is my heart supposed to be overwhelmed with goodness and awe for this man right now because this is a dark moment this is a horrible moment I'm seeing this man hung on this tree right now is now the moment when I'm supposed to worship in spirit and in truth like what would have been going through her mind well we know that he rose from the dead three days later now is the time to worship Isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to think about worshiping when he rose, but it's hard for us to think about worshiping when he's on a cross. Just like that in our lives, guys, we're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about a location. It's about who you are and what God has done in your life, which means the worst moments of your life, now is the time to worship. The best, most magnificent mountaintop experiences and moments, that's the time to worship. Now is the time to worship in spirit and in truth, always, every moment of every day. I'm so excited to be in our church in the season that our church is in right now. Like, we're pioneering and going somewhere where we've never gone before. And I don't for a second think that it's just a coincidence that the group of people that is here today that calls Living Hope home is here in this season of our church's history. It's not a coincidence. There's a reason why right now when we're pioneering and taking new territory and going to a place that our church has never in history done before, there's a reason why you're here to be a part of it. I'm so excited that God says, Marisa, in your lifetime, I'm deeply humbled and amazed that I get to work here. Man, I love it when I meet people, and I'm, I'm a woman, and I don't dress too frumpy. And they're like, and I tell them I'm a pastor, and they're like, you're a pastor? I get that all the time, this look of like, What? And usually, I'm going to say like 80 to 90% of the time is followed up with, but you look cool. (laughs) Thank you. I'm like, yeah, because cool people are Christians. Cool people go to church. Cool people get to live their lives for the cause of Jesus. And in this season that our church is in, I find myself over and over again just saying, God, thank you. You could have chose to have Living Hope Pioneer in church before I was born. Or you could have chose to have Living Hope Pioneer this campus after I'm dead. But instead, you're saying right now, right now in this generation, Living Hope is going to start a second campus. And it's the first of many. I've been at the church this week clearing out storage closets. It's the glamorous part of pastoring. 
And I can't tell you in the midst of the, like the to-do list of getting ready to move, this, well, the school has moved into this facility. We're going to be moving our offices here temporarily. A building that was once too small to house all of those things is now going to house all those things. Super fun. So I've been here all week clearing out storage spaces with some awesome volunteers and some of our amazing staff just serving and going through the nitty-gritty. And on multiple occasions, I found myself weeping, saying, God, thank you. Thank you that I get to do this. Lord, let this be an act of worship. As I look at a computer that was put in storage 30 years ago, let this be an act of worship. (laughs) Man, it was like a museum. Some of this stuff. And then my husband said, oh, yeah, when we moved into this building, I was here on moving day, and that's where the computer was. I put it there on moving day. It literally hadn't budged for 20 years, not 30, 20 years. It hadn't budged. We get to throw it out and organize these spaces. And I found myself crying, saying, Jesus, thank you. God, let this just be an act of worship because it feels so mundane and it feels so ordinary and it feels so not anointed. God, let this just be an act of worship to you because it's a detail that's needed for this season of where our church is at to go to the next level. To go to the next level, we need that room right there emptied out. Right? Anyways. The power of the cross, when it intercepts your life, the most mundane things can become an act of worship because now is the time to worship in spirit and in truth. It's not a place. It's not a season. It's not a feeling. It's my life saying, God, I just want to worship you. So here, I'm throwing this garbage out in your name. I'm building this kingdom in your name. I'm, I'm putting you first in, because in your name, God, not about me, not about my honor, not about the name of living hope, not about the fame of living hope, but about the fame of you, Jesus. That's why we're doing this. We don't need living hope's name to become known. We need the name of Jesus to be shouted louder and louder and louder. (sighs) Scripture says that 50 days after the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room and the day of Pentecost came. Jesus had said in Acts Uh, Jesus was quoted in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. No, this was actually Jesus speaking before he ascended. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then they gather in an upper room, frightened because the one they were following had just been killed, wondering full of questions. Who knows the emotions that they were feeling at that time, but they're gathered in this upper room and then this wind begins to blow and the Holy Spirit makes himself known to these people and fire rests on their head and they begin to speak in other tongues and in other languages. They are empowered and they are bold when the Holy Spirit comes on them because Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, You'll be my witnesses. I think sometimes we confuse the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life for actually the intended purpose that the Holy Spirit was given. The Holy Spirit is given to empower us to be his witnesses. 
Yes, the anointing is awesome when you can use your gifts and your talents and see the hand of God. Use that. That's awesome. When you can see anointing flowing through a passion and a gifting that you have and see the Lord use things like that, that's beautiful. But you know that the Holy Spirit was given to empower you and me to be his witnesses. So there's Petonia in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and she is filled with the Holy Spirit and she is empowered and she turns to her sisters and to her sons and says, Africa? Shall we go to Africa? Okay. There's no record of how many days were in between when the Holy Spirit fell and when her and her family left to go and carry out that great commission. But she did it. She gave up everything she knew. Because the Holy Spirit fell and empowered her, which is the third day that transforms a believer's life. Do you remember when the Holy Spirit fell in your life? Do you remember when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit and a new language started flowing out of you? Do you remember? Do you remember what that was like? Have you lost that sense of awe and like, look at what Jesus did. Look at what just happened. Because now it's just, yeah, I speak in tongues. Yeah, I'm filled with the Spirit. Oh, I'm in a church that does that. Yours doesn't? Oh, okay, well, ours does. Or has it empowered you? And does it still empower you? Do you stir yourself up in your spiritual language? Do you pray in tongues? Do you allow the activity of the Holy Spirit to be stirring in you on a regular basis so that when you get up and leave your home, you're ready to be a witness for Jesus? Or do we stir ourselves up in our spirit language so that we will be more confident, so that we can address a difficult situation, so that we will have grace for the people that are driving us crazy? We need the Holy Spirit for all that stuff. But that's not the primary purpose it was given. The primary purpose was to be his witness, to be his mouthpiece, to go and to tell and to do and to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. That's the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when you first received the impartation of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How many here are baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you remember? I remember. I was 12 years old, and I was embarrassed. I didn't want to have to speak this language, but I wanted it. We were in that little building back there, which which is now the kids' own room, And my mom was like, so are you going to go up? Because we were having a ministry time. Whoever wants baptism of the Holy Spirit, come on up. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to go up. And then I was like, someone's going to put their hands on me. And I'm watching them, listening to make sure that the person they're praying for got it. And I was like, that's not going to be me. They're not listening. So this is what I did. Pretend that this right here is like the front of the auditorium. I go out of my seat. And I'm watching people praying over and listening. And I'm like, ooh, I'm, that's embarrassing. I don't want that. So this is what I did. I walked up and I went, thank you for filling me, Lord. <laughs> it was like so dramatic and powerful. And I was like, there, I'm filled. And my mom came over. She's like, aren't you getting prayer? I'm like, yeah, I got it. She's like, you did? I'm like, yeah. She's like, let me hear. And I was like, oh, crap. I didn't think my mom would ask me that, you know. I didn't want to have to say it in front of anybody. So I'm like, okay. And I looked up at her, and I just, it just started coming. That's why I don't understand sometimes when our heads get in the way, when we're getting, praying for people to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I remember as a 12-year-old just having this simple, well, yeah, here we go. 
Does that count, Mom, in my field? Yeah, okay. I remember it. I remember it. It changed my life. Being filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues, changed my life. It's the third transformative day in the life of a Christian. You know that Romans 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The empowering of the Holy Spirit is so that we live lives for Jesus. Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say, which is your spiritual act of worship. The time is coming and is now here when those who worship will worship me in spirit and in truth. It's not a place. It's not a feeling. It's not a good season or a bad season. It's my life. I'm living an act of worship. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Romans 12, 2 is my favorite scripture. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you know what God has called you to do? I don't mean like the gift that he's giving you that you want to see activated and walked in, although that's part of it. I don't mean the place he's called you to live or the job he's called you to, to, you know, those are all parts of it. But do you know what he's called you to do? Do you know that we're going to stand before God one day and we're going to be judged two times? The first one is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Phew, made that one. Second one, this is what you were called to do. Now let's test and see if you actually did what you were called to do. I pray that those two are the same. I know, I mean, I'm, I think I know. I'll be like, God, I didn't do it all. Like, I didn't. I, my flesh got in the way, and I got hang-ups I never was able to get, overcome. And I'm sorry, God. I'm so, like, but I did try my best to do what you called me to do. And I pray that in that moment, he looks and says, yeah. Yeah, I see that you tried. And look, you did this. And Marisa, you missed this. But you did this. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm not expecting to nail it. I don't put a pressure of perfectionism on me to say if I misstep the will of God, then oh my gosh, that's crippling. That causes people to never go anywhere. But God's called you to do something. Do you know what it is? Like, do you? If you don't know what it is, church, I want to encourage you to spend time in the presence of God, remembering the cross when it intercepted your life, stirring yourself up in your spirit, man, and asking the Holy Spirit, God, what have you called me to do? And within that calling, you'll figure out where you're going to work, where you're going to live, who your spouse is going to be, how many kids you're going to have, all that stuff. But what's he called you to do? And if it does not include the reconciliation of mankind to Jesus, you're not hearing his voice. This woman is so inspirational to me to see how she chose to live her life. She met him at a well one day. He read her mail. They talked briefly about worship. And then she becomes this incredible voice for Jesus for the rest of her life until she's killed for her faith, until she dies. Like, Jesus isn't calling most of you, if any of you, to that. You know that, right? I used to be so afraid when I was a kid. Angie and I were talking yesterday about our first experience on short-term mission trips. And she finished her first experience on a short-term mission trip like, wow, that was amazing. 
And I finish mine like, I don't ever want to be on the mission field. (laughs) I was petrified as a kid that God was going to call me to be a missionary. Right? He's not going to do, he's going to call you to do something that's challenging. He's going to call you to do something that's out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. But he's going to call you more than anything to be his voice, to be his mouthpiece. Most of you here do not have the call of God on your life to be a martyr for Jesus like Fatonia did. But are you willing to do whatever it is he asks? Are you willing to do and be and speak and go wherever he asks you to go? Even if the result was losing your life for Jesus. I mean, she was willing to do it. Why can't I be willing to do it? I want to talk about the fourth day. I imagine that when Fatonia met Jesus that day when she gave up her spirit and breathed her last breath, I imagine that she was met with applause and celebration. I imagine that she heard the voice of her father say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I mean, I imagine that's what she heard, the reception that she received. There's going to be a day, church, the fourth day, I call it, when we stand before Jesus. Are we prepared for that day? Are we prepared to enter into that day? Or are we going to be faced with the reality that we actually didn't do what we were called to do? These are some of the questions I've been asking myself since I've been reading about this woman. Has the power of the cross wrecked my life so that my priorities line up with God's priorities? Or do I have a form of what it is to be a Christian and I'm living that life? Is my life as a Christian one that's lived because of what Jesus has done in my life or is it what I do because it's what I've known my whole life? I was born in this church My mom was teaching Sunday school on a Sunday morning at this church when she went into labor with me. It's all that I know. Am I doing what I do because it's what I've known or am I doing what I do because Jesus called me? Because I love Jesus and I want my life to count for him. I'm asking, are my affections set on Jesus and his overwhelming, magnificent love for me all the time? Or only in the really good seasons or only in the really bad seasons? But am I wrecked at how much he loves me all the time? Am I living my life for the sake of eternity? You know, we say that. Like, are we living for eternity? I don't know. But am I? Am I living for eternity? I just, I feel like as I'm asking myself some of these questions and pondering the life of this woman who just gave it all. She just gave it all for Jesus. I think, man, there's times when I come to church and I don't feel like worshiping. Never mind my lifestyle throughout the week if that's reflecting worship or not. Like, if what I'm doing through the week isn't with this heart of God, I'm doing this as an act of service unto you, as act of worship. If that's not there, man, there's times I come to church and I don't even want to do this. And I'm the worship pastor. If we were radically ruined by what the cross has done in our lives, do you know that our lifestyle and when we come to church to do this would just erupt? 
There would be no prodding. There would be no prompting. There would be no, come on, church, let's lift our hands as the worship leader has to do week after week. We would be wrecked and we would have not enough words to say to worship Jesus. There wouldn't be enough adjectives to describe how great he is. There wouldn't be enough good things that we could do to honor him and to worship him and and exalt him. And, And when the lyrics come off the screen, that would be like, yes, now I can express what's in my heart. I just wonder what's, what's gotten in the way of that intercepted cross and how we live our life every day and how we worship when we come to church. I just wonder, has there been a disconnect, church? Have we allowed there to be a disconnect between what the power of the cross means and then how we live it, how we worship with our life and with our voices, with our bodies as a living sacrifice I just, I just wonder. Do you ever wonder that? I think that if we had the kind of encounter with Christ that Fatonia had, our whole life would be worship. Our whole life would be worship, just like hers was. Which is, it gets me to this very question, this point that I've been wrestling with since I heard of this woman's story. If I have had an encounter with you, and I know that I have... then why is there this sense that there's something more? Why is there this sense like God's got something that's so much greater? Why? I've encountered his love. I've been ruined by his love. My gosh, it's my license plate for crying out loud. (laughs) I've been ruined by the love of God. And yet, like I said, my Starbucks order is wrong and I have a bad attitude. What is wrong with me? What is wrong with us, church? Because I don't think I'm in the only one in that boat. Where, have we lost our first love? Have we lost our first? Has it just gotten watered down a little bit? Have we allowed living in this comfortable existence that we have to kind of water down or change or adapt our expression of worship to our Savior? I don't know. But I believe that God has called us as this church right now. If this is your church, if you believe that this is your home, when you come to church week after week, you say, I'm home, then guys, then God has called you to be in pre-service prayer. He's called you to be in worship with your arms lifted and your mouth giving him praise. The fruit of your lips giving thanks to his name. He's called you to be dancing and rejoicing with your body even when you don't feel like it. He's called you to go this week and speak to people and just be his voice. She stands before Nero and says, well, I've come that you would believe in Jesus. I got relationships with unsaved friends that have never heard that sentence come out of my mouth. I don't want us to miss the divine season that we're in as a church because we're too comfortable. Because it's been a certain way and we're com- we like it. It's comfortable. God's been good to us. Even in our challenges, you know, God's been good to us. And then we just kind of 
this is what church becomes. This is what life becomes. I'm not here tonight to put a burden on you. That is not my heart at all. My heart is that the story of this woman's life would just cause you to ask the same questions that it's caused me to ask myself. There's got to be more than getting up and going to work and having my family and working with, like, there's got to be more. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let's stand to our feet. He said, the hour's coming and is now here. The true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not a place. It's not a feeling. It's not a season of life that's going good or that's going bad. It's just God is good and I worship him. That's it. Because of who he is. I want you for a moment to just get a picture in your mind of where you were when you encountered the cross of Jesus. Where was your life headed? What were you feeling in that season? What compelled you to say, yeah, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. I need you. Remember where you were. for me, not for the person beside you, not for anything else, but for the amazing awesomeness of God. Will you just lift your hands and begin to tell God how great he is? Will you just worship him?
Come on, he's worthy, church. He's worthy to receive your praise tonight. God, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy, we thank you we thank you that you intercepted our lives that when we look at the timeline of our life that there is a cross that at the right moment at the right time that you came and you intercepted us and you set us on a new trajectory called to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth that in this room you're stirring up men and women who aren't going to be satisfied with what we've known and how we've lived but you're stirring up in our hearts even tonight a greater desire for more of you for more of your presence for more of your Holy Spirit to compel us Lord we are saying tonight we are willing to do and to say and to go wherever your Holy Spirit wants us to God Lord, we want to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses. Find in this church men and women who say yes. 
find in this church the same spirit that was on Fatonia to rest upon us that will say yes to you, oh God. Lord, may we learn what it is to live every moment in an act of worship with our family in an act of worship, with our co-workers as an act of worship, doing our jobs as an act of worship, and lifting our voices and lifting our hands as an act of worship to you, Jesus. Teach us, God, to live lives of worshiping you in spirit and in truth. That our lives would be a living sacrifice. That our bodies would be set apart to be a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to you as our spiritual act of worship, God. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for a moment. If you're here tonight and you have not had that that encounter with the cross of Jesus that has changed your life, I would love tonight to pray with you and, and lead you to a place where you can invite Jesus into your life, where that cross tonight can be Um, deposited into the timeline of your life. If that's you tonight and you would like to pray and receive Jesus into your life, will you just lift your hand really nice and high over the heads of all these people so I could see with you, so I could pray with you tonight. Is there anybody here like that tonight? I'd love to pray with you. Thank you over here. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? He's calling you because he loves you so magnificently he's calling you he's got his hands extended to you tonight saying come on come follow me come be with me is there anybody else here tonight that wants to pray and ask Jesus to be Lord of your life I'm going to give you just a couple more seconds here